Well, good morning. How are you doing today? We are on the last week of our series on the book of James. And if you've been with us, man, what a series it's been. Uh, James is so practical, so in our face. And today he ends this letter that he's been writing with a culmination of all that he's been talking about. You know, throughout James's writing, he's been consistently calling us to spiritual maturity. He's been consistently calling us the places where we have, we have wandered. He's calling us back to authentic Jesus following. He calls us to correct our drift and realign with God's truth. And so here in these last two verses, after all that teaching about correction, he says, now you, come join me. Come join me in correcting others and calling others back. And so listen to what he says in James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James wants us to join him in calling people back from wandering away from Jesus. And we have to remember, who is James writing this to? You know, he's not writing this letter to a specific church, but he is writing it to a specific people. He uses the term brothers and sisters eight times. He is talking to those of us who know Jesus, who would say, I'm in, with Je- I'm in the faith. I-, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. He's talking to those of us who see Jesus as our Savior. And he says, we are family. You, brothers and sisters, if, if one should wander, go get them. And he asks, if, if, if one of your brothers and sisters wandered, wouldn't you go after them? And he says, the same way in the family of God. When one of our family drifts and wanders we pursue them he's calling back the wanderers they've wandered from what the truth wandered from the truth of jesus that he would call them to now before we start to think of those people who you wish were here oh they're wandering i gotta get this cd to them i gotta get them the podcast we have to stop and, and first and foremost admit and realize that we prone to wander we wander. We've all wandered. We've all had seasons of it. Maybe you're, you're passing through here. Maybe you're, you've dealt with this. Maybe you're dealing with this. We all wander from God during different seasons of our life. I like to say this. Drift happens. Drift happens. It just starts small, but when you start small drifting, uh, where does it end up later? We always drift farther than we thought. We start life with good intentions, but then drift happens. We want to make the right decision, but we just get a little bit off. And begin to drift. So first and foremost, we look at our own lives. And we have to ask ourselves, where are we drifting? Where are we straying from the path that Jesus has called us to? So James would ask us, where is our character, our beliefs, or our behaviors off the path that he would have for us? Even if it's just a little drift, that little drift can take us far off path. Because listen, when we drift... We hurt ourselves, and we hurt others. We drift in our marriages. We drift in our relationships. We drift in our holiness and purity. We drift in our integrity. We drift in how we speak about people. We drift into gossip. We drift in what we think about, and we start to allow some thought life. We drift in our attitudes. We drift into vices. We drift away from the life that God would have for us. Drift happens, and where there is drift there is wandering. And the important question we can't rule out today is, is where are we drifting? And, it's, and it, we have to realize it's okay. We've all drifted. 
The, the heroes of the Bible drifted in some incredible ways. Drift happens. In fact, Jesus was talking to Peter, and, and Peter had just got done declaring, even if everyone leaves Jesus, I will never leave you. He's passionate. He's committed. And Jesus says this in Luke twenty two thirty two: I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would stand strong. And when you have returned back to me, when you've returned, when you've returned, he, he, he wandered. When you return back to me, that you would strengthen the others. You see, even those who are the most committed drift. Even those who are the most passionate wander. And we, and we somehow begin to think that our drift disqualifies us from helping others. Have you noticed that? You ever come here and think that your drift disqualifies you from even worshiping? Man, if people knew what I did, what I was doing. You ever thought that, you ever seen how your drift disqualifies you? Jesus says something different. Listen, Peter, when you come back and you return to me, strengthen everyone else. See, you see, what you have gained in purpose and perspective in your drifting and returning can give strength to others who need it. Your drifting is not a disqualification. As you return, it adds strength to your story as you call others back to you, back to Jesus. Each of us has drifted in a different way for a different season. And for some of you, you've drifted for maybe 10 minutes, like my mom. I don't know if she's ever drifted more than 10 minutes. For some of you, it's been a lifetime. It's been a lifetime of drift. And you just ended up here in church. You don't know how you got here, but you're here. Welcome. In returning from drift, there is purpose and there is, there's power and there's peace. And so the question is, what circles are you in right now where there are people who have drifted that, that God would tell you, go get them back, call them back. As James tells us to step in, who are the people around you that you can call back to this path? You know, in our modern culture, we have a new term that has arisen that defines the wanderers. The cultural strategists, they begin using the word de-churched. We have the churched, the unchurched, and the de-churched. And they use this term, and it means this. It's for whatever reason, someone who just steps out. Step out of the gathering, and maybe they step out of faith, maybe they don't. But they have de-churched. And here's some statistics um, from, the, from our nation about church and all these things. So Chattanooga, Tennessee. Anybody ever been there? 60% of Chattanooga is churched. Number one in our nation. You guys ever been to the South? Waffle houses and churches. And they're always full. Usually at different times. I mean, it's, it's the way it goes down there. What do you think the uh, percentage of our area that is churched is? Do you think we hit the 60% mark? <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a, um, there was actually another list of people who are unchurched, and, and the, the, the number one city of unchurched there was far still lower than I believe our area. What would you guys guess? We, we were thinking this, that it was about 15%, 15 to 20% of our surrounding region is churched. 15, way below the national average. We live in a very unique place, don't we? Now, let's look at the de-churched, those who have drifted and left. San Francisco, the number one de-churched city, with almost 50% of its people having at one point been in church, and then they have ceased. I wonder what our local number would be of the 80% of people who don't attend a, a faith gathering. How many of those have been de-churched? They were a part of a gathering. They were a part of it at some point, and for whatever reason, they decided to step out. I wonder how many in our circles have left faith gatherings or are drifting from faith or given up on faith. Now, people de-church for many reasons. For as many people as you meet, you will hear that many reasons. Because if we're honest, we've all had our season of drift. We've all wandered. 
And we all have our own circumstances and reasons that got us to that point. These, these research firms have spent a lot of money finding out why people are de-churching at an exponential rate. And here's the reasons they've given us, just a few. One of the biggest reasons was people left church was because God was missing. <laughs> the very purpose of the church to make Jesus famous, to make him the main thing, that was missing. And with that, there was a number two that said, um, we aren't learning about God. We go for God, but we get there and we get nothing out of it. Literally, they could not track what the pastor was trying to communicate, so they thought it wasn't worth their time. And one woman, one woman said about the pastor, it was like he was speaking a foreign language. And so I just, they couldn't put up with that. Another one was, um, they were not allowed to doubt or question. That the church they were a part of said, listen, just fall into line. Just look like everybody else. Don't bring us those questions and doubts. Come on, blindly follow. Another reason is they were not finding community. And this is hard because in a nation where loneliness is on the rise, people are looking for connection. And it's sad that when they're looking for community and they come to the church, they don't find it. That is, that, that is unacceptable. Listen, God is called, we are here saved by grace. If anybody can be authentic, it should be the people of God. And yet people are showing up in churches all over the nation to find a bunch of fake people pretending and that's not community. And so they leave. One church thinker said, no one should be able to out-community the local church. And I hope this is true of the, of the orchard. That this is who we are in our culture. Um, another one, uh, one of the main reasons is kids' activities are now leading the family. That travel teams require travel parents. And some families have elevated activities and sports to the center value of their home. Simple as that. And here at the Orchard, our prayer is that we are hoping to buck the trend on these indictments against the church. That when someone comes here looking for God, they find the main thing is the main thing. And that's Jesus. That they don't have to sift through a bunch of stuff to, to have an encounter. That in every sermon and in every song, it is Jesus and it is God and Jesus crucified. That our kids' ministry is raising up the future of the church up in those rooms. That they're not babysitting, they're discipling. And they can come to this church and they can find true, authentic community. People who don't fake it. People who are real about their struggles. That's, that's what we love. That's what we want to be a part of. This week I spent some time with a friend of mine who's been on quite a journey. He told about how he grew up in church and grew up, he was served in church and then he, he took a detour straight out of the doors of church. And he, he wandered um, through many different things and, and here we are as friends now, and he wanted you guys to know a few things about the D-Church. And I thought this was, we had a great talk. I thought this was worth our hearing. He said, those in the church tend to believe that those who leave are like super wounded or super sinners. And they're angry at God, or they're angry at the church. But sometimes we just find something different. Or we find something that compels us. Christians need to be careful about demonizing people who leave because it comes across as a subtle form of shunning. And that last statement convicted me. We need to remember that people leave for any number of reasons, and they drift. In fact, here in our local area, the factors are even, even different than the rest of the nation because we live in a place that is on the front of magazines for our recreation. And as soon as a certain season hits, church gets in the way of our recreation. And so many of us move here to do that. We don't move here to go to church. One of you did. That was my wife. I married her and moved her here for the church. 
But, but for the rest of us, we're here for, for all the God's creation. And you're telling me I gotta come back early from a camping trip to, to hear your sermon, Daniel? Come on, man. That's why you have a podcast, right? Many people get in the habit of recreation and Sunday gathering just continues to go down the list of value. And there's nothing against church. They've just elevated other values above it. And this is probably one of the largest reasons for drift in our area. We just get out of the habit of being here. And and listen, drift is normal. Drift happens to each of us. And oftentimes these seasons of drift let us reevaluate our priorities and our values for us and our family to decide what's first and what's not. This isn't anything new. I'm not just making this up because it's new for us in this area. In fact, all throughout the Bible, Jesus talks about this. In fact, Paul mentions it in Hebrews 10. He says, let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. Now, now why would God speak this through Paul? Why would he elevate this? Why, Why would God, who knows us better than anyone else, elevate the faith gathering in our lives? There's something about being a part, being a participant in God's community of believers that adds a buoyancy to our spiritual life. It adds a buoyancy to our spiritual life. And and there's a reason that throughout the Bible, God consistently encourages his people to gather together. And it goes back to what I originally said. Because it's so easy to drift. It's so easy to drift. But there are many who are choosing to, to buck this trend. There's a growing number of people and parents who are raising themselves and raising their children to find their purpose in God's family. Those are people who know that their children, their children are the future of the church. You know, millennials are leaving the church at unprecedented rates because they are manifesting what's been modeled to them. But there are some who are saying, we're going to show our children the value of God's family and God's kingdom. A friend of mine, he, uh, he's a husband and, and father, and he said in January, he told me that his word for the year, his word for this whole year of 2019 is purpose. And there's lots of different facets of what it means, but part of the purpose that he is after is purpose for his family and on Sunday mornings. And he's, he's not bringing them here purposefully just for, there's no attendance star chart. What he literally wants is he wants his children to grow up with the teachings in the class and to find their place in the body of Christ. That by the time they graduate, they have found value and purpose and a place in God's house. He wants his kids to find that. He wants himself and his, to find more purpose in the church. And, and listen, this is no small decision. This is completely counterculture to what we're seeing in the trends. As someone saying, I'm, I'm going to intentionally find purpose for my family here. But I believe that the long-term investment of this will be seen in his family, in his marriage, in his kids, in his character, and in our church as his leadership is here. And I love when I preach about the church, everybody's going, but, but Pastor Daniel, <laughs> you're biased. <laughs> you work here. You kind of want us here, don't you? Yes. Yes, I do. Do you think that, but listen, I'm going to tell you something. Do we want a large congregation or a trophy or, or any? No, none of that. It's not about any of those things. We believe in what God is doing here. Listen, at age seven, I gave my life to Jesus. And at 16, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I was called to the local church to ministry. I fell in love with the local church. 
I've been a part of many different ones. And I've seen how God can move in amazing ways through the local church. I believe that the church is one of the most influential ways that God's mission of love and redemption goes into this world. And as one pastor put it like this, he said, um, Jesus is the hope of the world and the local church is the vehicle of expressing that hope. I'm not gonna slacken my passion for, for what we do here. I believe God is building something powerful and beautiful in our midst of the orchard. That as we love God and love people and go out and keep Jesus Christ the main thing, that the gates of hell will not stand against what we're doing and what God's gonna do. I've been a part of a church, I've been a part of a local church and I've seen revival and redemption take place and sweep a community. And our prayer is that, that people who are far from God would come near to God. So while I won't hide my passion on this, I do admit we all drift, I drift. And the gathering is the easiest part to drift from. James tells us here in this final two sentences of his book, to go get those who are drifting. He says there's a lot on the line. And there's always more on the line than we realize when we drift. He doesn't demonize. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't call us to. This is out of love without judgment. And he encourages us to find those who have wandered and bring them back. Listen again. Brothers and sisters, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, do not write them off. Go after them. Get them back and you'll have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. What would it look like, Orchard, if we stepped into this challenge? What would it look like for us if we stepped into what James is saying here? You know, we all know people who were once in this room and for whatever reason they've drifted. They're not here anymore. We all know people who were, who were once followers of God and we don't, we don't know anymore where they are with that. We all know people in our circles who, who went to church somewhere, but obviously something's happened and they're kind of not involved anymore. We all know people who at one time were part of that and have, for whatever reason, drifted. And James says, don't write them off. And don't you dare condemn. Go find them. Why is it so important? Here's the, the why. Why is it so important to do this? Again, is it because we want more people? Is it because we want their money or we want a big gathering? No, no, and no. As we go through our lives, we see the actions of people. We see the decisions of people. We see the drift and wandering of people. We see people's lives and we forget something. That every person is a soul. And that soul is precious to God. That soul has a story and that story is a journey. We can't lose sight of the fact that the one matters. No matter how far the journey, no matter how strange their story, no matter the amount of pain or disillusionment or anger and indifference, God loves his children and desires each of them to return. And he calls us to return. He seeks us and then he calls us to go seek those. Listen to this parable of Jesus. He's speaking here and he says, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. First of all, for the, this is the good shepherd Jesus. For him to see a hundred sheep and know one is missing tells us something about the shepherd. He knows his flock and he knows them by name. He knows, he sees them and he knows them. 
So he looks and he sees that one is missing. And so he leaves the 99 to go find the one. We always gloss over this, but think of the good shepherd as he he leaves the 99 and, and travels and walks and it's hot and maybe he sleeps outside and he searches and he searches for the one. It says when he finds the one, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and he calls his friends and neighbors and says, come on, let's party. Let's celebrate. And then Jesus finishes with this. I tell you, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one who returns than the 99 who don't need to. What a strange, the math doesn't make sense to us, does it? You, you have 99. You got 99 sheep. You know, I'm no, I'm no Star Trek fan, but for those three of you here who are, you'll like this. In one of the movies, there's this, you remember Spock, the logical one? Yeah, live long and prosper. In one of the movies, Spock makes a personal sacrifice and he dies so the rest of the crew can live. And William Shatner, he finds Spock and says, Spock, why? Why have you done this? To which Spock returns and he says, Jim, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. It's simple math. It's simple math. I looked at it, and the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And I I know this is a shock to a couple of you, but God is not Spock. He's no Spock. His love is not mathematically make sense. In the parable of the lost sheep, we see his heart on display. That he would leave the 99 for the one. Why? Because he loves that one. He knows that one, and he wants his son home. He wants his daughter home. The needs of the one are huge to God because the one matters. Listen, every one matters to God. An orchard, therefore, every one should matter to us. Amen? Amen. Somebody preach it today. Let Let me put some teeth on this. Elijah was two years old. We were in Santa Fe, and they have a big open square. Think of Sopras Park, and it's very busy. There's little booths. There's people everywhere playing music. It's, there's dancing. There's all this stuff. We're there with all the family and other kids. And Elijah's playing. They're running around the big fountain, and you know how it goes, parents. You just stop for two seconds, and you talk to somebody else, and you look up, and um, your child's missing, which is not really a big deal until... Until it's a big deal. Elijah! Elijah! (laughs) You guys go call for Elijah over there. Now, Elijah! And you go to where you think he is, he should be, and he's not there. And now it's that adrenaline. Where's my son? Where is he? And I remember, it it, it seemed like it lasted forever. I couldn't find him anywhere. I hear my brother running around the park calling, and now there's there's no calm in his voice either. And, there's, and my sister-in-law, she's running. There's no calm in that voice. We are yelling and screaming, Elijah! And of course, my imagination just starts to go wild. Oh no, who's got him? He should be right here. He should be, I would give him any, I would give anything to have him right here. And I remember, I was looking down side streets out of the park and I remember if I had seen him, I would have yelled to somebody, that's my son! I love him! Get him for me! Get him for me! We found him on the edge of the park, hitting a tree with a stick, 
oblivious. Listen, he'd wandered off, as we are prone to do, just drifted away from the Father. Now, God's heart does not panic like ours, but his heart breaks when we, when we, when we drift. See, when we drift into the hands of an enemy or on paths that harm us or, or down a, a road that wounds us, his heart breaks for us, his sons and his daughters. And this morning, I want to be honest about something. I considered not doing this, but I want to be honest about something and, and have a, con, a legit confession to you guys. Um, it's not going to seem like a big deal, but it is to me. <laughs> I don't always have God's heart for those who wander. I don't always have God's heart for those who've drifted away. You know, two weeks ago, if you would have asked me, do you have a heart for those who, who were here and they've left and they drifted? I would have said, oh, yes, I do, of course. Man, I love, I love, yeah. But God has taken me through something to reveal to me the reality of my heart. And it wasn't a dream, but it was very visual and it was very real. Let me set up the scenario. I was down on Main Street of Carbondale. I was crossing the street and I said, look, on either side of the street, there, there's two people. Uh, there's one person over here on this side um, who used to attend. And for whatever reason, they just decided not to. I, I don't, it doesn't matter the reason. They just decided that that was not for me. And on this side was a person who, um, who has never known Jesus. And as I'm sitting there in the street looking at both of them, I had two very different reactions. To the person over here who's never known Jesus, I run over to them. I go, hey man, how you doing friend? And I start talking to them. I'm genuinely interested in their life. Ask them about their, how things are going. These are my friends. Invite them. And then the other, other side, the person who had, who had wandered or left or for whatever reason, I remember thinking um, a little bit of a drawback, a little, little, little drawing back and hey, maybe a wave, maybe not. You never know. As God took me through this, my emotional response were very different. I didn't love the person over here who'd wandered like I loved the person who had never been. <laughs> and I wish I could tell you that wasn't true. And I wish that wasn't true of me. And God's heart revealed to me these things um, and gave me some amazing correction because here's what he showed me next. I was in the exact same scenario, crossing the street. This time, he was with me. He was with me. He's right here. And we both look up and we see those two people. And I look over and I go, oh, that's my friend. I'm gonna go. And I look over there and we look, I look at him and we meet eyes and he can see the indifference or even the, the drawn back emotion from over here. And... Um, as we meet eyes, he's with tears in his eyes and passion. He looks over my shoulder and he roars like a father who's missing his son. That's my son. I love him. Go get him for me. That's my daughter. That's my girl. Go get her for me. And I realized I had missed the heart of God for his children. You see, God's heart is passionate for his sons and daughters. Whether, whether near or whether far, he's pursued us at great cost to himself. The price was far higher than we could imagine. And he wants his sons and daughters home. I was crushed. In my humanity, I had completely missed the heart of God. You see, this is the God who would leave the many to find the one wanderer. 
And I want that to be true of us. I had missed James' challenge, but, but no more. Listen once again. Brothers and sisters, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back and you'll have rescued precious lives from wandering away from God. Orchard, this is a vital part of our mission that we've overlooked. I've overlooked. And I want us to step into the heart of God here, a heart that, that broke so that our hearts could be restored. A heart that gave up his own son to make us his sons and daughters. And a heart that wants us to pursue his sons and daughters with the same passion and love that he has for them. He calls us to do this. He wants us to remember the wandering. He wants us to to dare to go to those who are drifting. To search and find and return those sons and daughters who for whatever reason have drifted. So I'm going to challenge with a very specific task, a very specific challenge this week based on what James has said here. That we would go forth from this room and any who we know who have wandered or drifted, for whatever reason, we would just give them a simple invite back. That's it. And now I know it's a starting step, but that's, that we could start there, Right? And if God prompts more conversation with you, then do it. But let's start with inviting them. And we got our Resurrection Sunday coming up in two weeks. We have cards everywhere up here. Grab some of these. And anybody you know who used to be here and isn't, invite them. Or somewhere and isn't. Or you knew they were, they were believing and you don't. Just invite them. A simple invite. Hey, come with me. Come back with me. Who is part of our friends or family, coworkers? Anyone and everyone. Anyone. You know, we say here everything is relational. Everything. And my prayer is that because we have such a relational God, that, that his love and passion for those who are wandering can overcome our awkwardness and fear of going to them. Just, hey, come with me. Come on. Here's an invite. God's heart is that the orchard be a place that is full of the lost, of the found, of the wandering, of the seeking, of the doubting, of the questioning. We do not want a church that looks all the same. Love God, love people, no asterisks. And so go out. Let's go out and do that. And forgive me for where I have come up short in my passion for those and maybe you, as you look at this, you say, I, I, I get that. And let's go, let's go see what God does. This week, let's see what God does. And my prayer as we go into the communion is that you would sit there and you would ask God, God, who is it? Start making a list. And remember, with every name you put, it's a soul, it's a story, it's a journey. And he says, that's my son. That's my daughter. As we go into communion, I want to remind you, if you're a guest of ours today, that there's no class to take to participate in communion. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And if you want to come down and get the, the symbol of his broken body and shed blood, remember what Jesus did to bring us back. Remember what Jesus did so that we could be sons and daughters. His passion, his love, his sacrifice. And may we know that, may we never judge anybody else 
after all the grace he's given us. If you would like prayer, we're gonna have people up front for prayer requests and in the back over there in the prayer corner. But let's see what God would do with this this morning, okay? Amen?